Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. era is coming to an end. Suddenly announced Friday, the family that has owned Lenny's Pizzeria at 86th Street. That was that iconic pizzeria at the very beginning of Saturday Night Fever with uh, John Travolta. When as Tony Monero, he walks in, he gets two slices, puts them together, slaps them together, stacks them up, and whoops them right down. And people started doing that all over the nation. They well, were... I never knew until that movie that was a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't ever know that was a thing. Well, remember how much better it was than what both Bill de Blasio and Donald Trump did yeah. in public appearances, which was to eat a slice with a knife and fork. Even when Trump was in Times Square doing that, when Sarah Palin had just been nominated for the vice president uh, spot with John McCain, she ate it the right way. He ate it. With a knife and fork, and de Blasio out at Goodfellas Pizzeria in Highland Boulevard, owned by a Scientologist, uh, did very successful out there with a chain store. But when de Blasio went, he said, you got a knife and a fork? Yeah. And the locals look at him like, what's up with that? Anthony, this is like right in your backyard, this is, yeah. Lenny's Pizzeria. This this is an obituary, a full-out obituary. That is so sad. What, did he say why he's closing? Yeah, well, he's 77, the owner. That's Frank. And, you know, he's got kids. Yeah. And they've been handling the business. But, hey, running a pizza parlor is not an easy business. You're there early. You leave late. Uh, getting staff now. you got to have staff because this is a place where a lot of people are going to come and go just for the ambiance. And I think the old man just decided, Frank, I'm going to retire. Kids don't really want this kind of work. And I guarantee if it stays a pizzeria, the new immigrant group there, the Mexicans, will run it because they're the workers in most of the pizzerias now. So they'll own it and operate yeah, they're, they're, it. They're handed, handed off by the Alba- from the Albanians. But I've like we have, you know, I've always been fascinated by the economy around the 99-cent slice, how they managed to do it. The answer is they can't do it anymore. Now, seeing all the signs get changed to a buck fifty, buck fifty, and uh, it's really not good pizza. You know, it's no. the kind of pizza that if you you have pangs of hunger and you got to shove something down your esophagus, that's it. That's that's when I really broke ranks with Sid Rosenberg. We were doing the giveaway for Thanksgiving with the Franciscan uh, uh, friars uh, right at Madison Square Garden with Joe Sano and Father Francis. And here was Sid walking down with a 99-cent slice of pizza. He said, Sid, that's not your Brooklyn roots. In Brooklyn, you wouldn't have a 99-cent piece of pizza. It's like cardboard pizza. 
But this is another institution that is biting the dust, and it's showing the transition of that area of Brooklyn where you grew up, and I spent a lot of time. The Italians are vacating. You have increasing number of Chinese, Russians, Ukrainians, and Mexicans moving in to fill the void. And they're basically turning what were Italian-American institutions, restaurants, pizzerias, into uh, whatever culinary delights their communities want. Yeah, I mean, look, it's kind of always been the natural. You know, people it's hard for people outside to New York City to understand this, but the first level of suburbanization is when they move from Manhattan, from Little Italy, from Chinatown, out into Brooklyn. The same thing happened in my old neighborhood where I used to represent on Avenue U. Avenue U went from being... You know, from being old, I an Italian, Irish, Jewish, and it started to be Chinese. It became, it became like the Chinese suburbs yes. out there. And then Avenue U started to have all of the services and food that the Chinese work. It's a real sign. And then Flushing, it, it is, it's a real sign of progress, but there's always some sacrifice that you wind up making in the old line, the neighborhood shoemaker, the neighborhood pizzeria, the neighborhood little hole in the wall newsstand. Those are the types of businesses that, that you look back on, you realize that in the transition, they got lost in the shuffle. But sure, a lot of the Italians, they go over the Verrazano Bridge before they do the hop, skip, and a jump down to the Jersey floor, and then Florida, and they hit Staten Island, or as people call it, Staten Italy. But oh boy, what a horrific fire that took place yeah. on Staten Island. So many of our our uh, bravest uh, firefighters injured in the line of duty. Yeah, over 20. You know, this is, you. You re- we have, it's amazing. You know, since you and I cut our teeth in New York when fires used to rage all over the place, the number of fires we have are relatively small, the combination of better building standards. And, you know, every so often you'll hear a push, let's close some of the firehouses. It's one of those things, they may be idle for days at a time, they now go on health runs, but this was a case. It looks like a, a house that uh, uh, collapsed. Noam Layton has been keeping us updated on it, and uh, we should keep them in our prayers. Yeah, and uh, building inspections, which uh, desperately needed because of the rundown nature of buildings, also the illegal subdivisions, which make it uh, all the more dangerous for the tenants and the firefighters if they have to come in and fight a fire. So we'll be focused on that story. And then the other one, which I'm busting my buttons and britches with pride over, is the owl who had escaped from the Central Park Zoo, Flacco. Remember how they said this, this very exotic owl will never survive in the wilds because it's been hand-fed for like 10 years. Somebody had cut the mesh fence to allow it to release. It never really left the proximity. It stood uh, out there on trees along Fifth Avenue and back in Central Park. I remember seeing you, Anthony Weiner. As a bird watcher in the Jamaica Preserve, the federal lands, uh, not far from where I grew up in Canarsie, and you had on a safari hat, binoculars, and like those uh, Boy Scout uh, shorts, and I think you were going with the other bird watchers. Whoop-a-woo. Yeah. Whoop-a-woo. I was because, as you know, you know that one half of all the bird species in North America at one time or another are out there in Jamaica Bay yes. because if you think about when you fly overhead – it's a big green green over there. So we, I was able to get some federal funding to get a welcome center there. All kinds of bird watch. You sit in that parking lot. You see people coming from all over the world yeah. to do their bird watching. But Flacco, the thing about him, he's a classic New York owl, and that's what he's an owl, right? Yeah. Well, he, they call him an eagle owl, but, but he's more an owl than an eagle. He keeps parking himself clearly by for the photographers. 
He does not mind the paparazzi at all, no, and no. he's you can spit from there to the to the zoo, and he's surviving just fine. Well, because he's doing what owls do. He's preying on the rats and mice at night. People have spotted him, not only swooping down because they're nocturnal, right. like I've said about the uh, feral cats, and it's Mother Nature's way of keeping that community in balance. In fact, you go down my block, uh, and there are two ways that people try to eliminate the street pigeons. One is the barbaric way. They have spikes, which, unfortunately, the pigeon, if they set themselves uh, on the windowsill, boy, they can really impale themselves. It's it's a horrible, horrible way for a pigeon to have to suffer. The other way is they put up plastic owls. The plastic owl serves the way a scarecrow does in a cornfield, how it scares away the crows. Same thing. You never see pigeons go near these plastic owls because it's a natural predator. They're nocturnal. Pigeons are out there, rats, mice. That's why the Curtis Lee solution is more feral cats, more owls, and it will naturally balance the imbalance right. now because the rats basically run the streets. Well, that's true. And, you know, and then you've got the hawks. Yes. Which are in all of our parks, and you can always tell when the hawks are nearby because the pigeons are freaking out because the hawks – Fly above the pigeons, and they will—they won't go all the way to the ground. They'll grab a pigeon on their way. Well, remember, did you ever go to Parkside? Uh, that used to be no, that wasn't your district. That was right on the outside of your district, Parkside in Corona, across the street oh, yeah. from Corona Lemon Ice King, Genevieve's Hangout, Big Tony ran the place. He would never serve me. My mo- money was never good. Not because he said you don't have to pay. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> he would go up on the roof, old style, manage his pigeons. And those hawks from Flushing Meadow Park would come in and, you know, swoop in and take his best Boston Baldies and Homers. So he goes up there one day with a shotgun. He starts shooting at the hawks. Obviously, the hawks, they take uh, various maneuvers to avoid getting shot. The cops get the call. They take him for a psychiatric evaluation at Elmhurst Hospital, lock him up a few days. And Tony said, man, you see that? Who who ratted me out? Who ratted me out? (laughs) Who do you think ratted him out, huh? What do you think, right? No, uh, I've heard a lot about. I've heard a lot during the uh, the seven o'clock hour about you being a rat, but uh, I don't. No, I get, am. I love I the Parmesan get, cheese. I don't want to get this get us bogged down. This, but it seems to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong. It used to be much more a fixture in Brooklyn. Guys on their roofs with the big. Yes. You know, it used to be a much bigger thing. Like just about every every couple of blocks, there were these circles. these big clubs. Cir- yeah. The, uh, in fact, uh, when you would actually get off the Bell Parkway, if you were going to uh, Brighton Beach. His huge pigeon club there. My uncle, uh, Vincent, had uh, pigeons on the roof of the house that I still manage. Oh, yeah, at right, right and by J. the train yards there. Is that right. what you mean? Yeah. I mean, but it used to be if you would go up on the roof of your building, no matter where you are, and, and my family and I lived in Brownstone, Brooklyn, and Park Slope, you'd go up there, and you can kind of, like, see the different ones that are going. And you can tell because the, the pigeons were circling and then a tighter, tighter circle, and then they disappear from the sky because they had been called back in. It doesn't seem to be a bigger thing as it used to Whoa, be. Oh, let me tell you, the amount of money that was bet, this is how they do it. They would train their homers and their Boston Baldies. And if you had one coop, the other coop would try to lure them away by having their flock go up because sometimes the pigeon gets disoriented like the whales. So there was one flock, they see another flock, they follow that flock, all of a sudden they're at somebody else's coop. Yeah. They have the clip of the other coop, you clip that off, you put your own clip on, then the pigeon owners start arguing with one another. But the real degenerate gamblers would ship, like my Uncle Vincent, the pigeons down to Florida. Then they release them at the same time, and then they fly back to New York. A lot of times a storm will knock them out of the way, 
and then you time stamp them when they return to the coop. And thousands of dollars of bet on that. That would be the way you compete in that? That's yes. amazing. Yeah, and, the, and these pigeons, as you know, from wars, when everything else failed, telegraph, phones, you send your messages by pigeon, and the pigeon would always get there one way or the other. And as you can see, the pigeons are outside waiting for me right now. I haven't fed them. <laughs> I had a rush in here, Anthony. But uh, speaking of Brooklyn, uh, it is going to be the first anniversary of the war in Ukraine when Putin invaded. Uh, the president of the United States will be in Poland, which has taken in one and a half million Ukrainian and war refugees. And I just asked this question. I never get an answer. You, you've got your fingers still uh, out there uh, in everything that's going on, especially in Brooklyn, where you're from. We were going to take in 10,000 Ukrainian war refugees seeking asylum. That's legitimate. We see what Putin is doing, especially in East Ukraine, smashing it to smithereens. I never heard of them coming in, uh, being uh, given sponsorship, being housed, put up. I put the word out. Uh, some of them are Jews. Most of them are Eastern Orthodox. They either follow the Russian Orthodox Church or the Greek Orthodox Church. But it's almost like we never hear about those migrants you would think if there are some NGOs that are involved in that process of bringing them in and trying to assimilate them here, they would be touting that. But maybe uh, you can find out. The answer is I, I don't know. There are a couple of things. You know, one, they're not showing up at the border and standing in line. We have a whole different level of anxiety that we express when they're white immigrants. Let's face it, we do. And it could be 10,000 is not a lot. You know, there were some stories about some Coming up at the, through the southern border, they yes, just made initially. them way circuitously around there. Uh, I assume they are. I assume it's like a lot of things. Every year, and this is one of the critiques I have of the Adams administration. Every year, we take in a lot of a lot of emigres who are asylum seekers. We do it here in the United States because that's where they're, we're, and we do it here in New York because this is where the families are. This is where Catholic charities. This is where um, the the uh, the Niana is the the one that focuses on Jewish emigres. I, I assume I assume that they're here. You're right. You don't hear much about it anymore. And it could also be that the families that were going to flee have already fled. And I mean, that could be it. It could be that. Well, the women, if, you know, if you would try, because I, I keep knock out, running into closed doors on that. It's just 10,000. Yeah. The way it was meant, most would go to Brooklyn and Queens, which made sense. Some to Staten Island. Nobody to the Bronx, nobody to Manhattan. Well, some to Manhattan. We, we still have a little Ukraine down in, in your old neighborhood yeah, that, that still exists. Yeah, yeah. I was there the other day uh, protecting Ray, the 90-year-old uh, candy store owner. We're out there all the time. You're correct on that. But I will tell you this. I was surprised you came back with a Stevie Van Zandt jam there, little Stevie. We were doing, yeah, we're, do, do, we're doing a, uh, a, a, a Southern Jersey day today. We had Steve Van Zandt, um, we had a Southside Johnny, and we had Patty Smith doing a Bruce song. Now, you know, I disagree with Stevie Manzan on a lot of his politics, a lot of it. Uh, but, you know, he gave up, I think, close to a million dollars for the Detective Endowments Association, for the Widows and Orphans Fund, for the children of those who are no longer with us. Uh, and you can actually hear Stevie Manzan. He's on episode five of Cop Talk. Of Ed Mamet and Kevin Schroeder. Kevin Schroeder, who uh, is involved directly with the DEA, Ed Mamet, uh, honorable cop for many, many years. You should listen to that episode five of Cop Talk because they're talking to Stevie Van Zandt and what, you know, how the conflict, like when Springsteen made the song about Amadou Diallo. Right. Obviously, they were considered anti cop. 
and then how to juxtaposition this with Stevie Manzan is being so generous with his own personal money to help the uh, the families of police officers. It's a great interview. I suggest you listen, anybody else out there listen, because uh, it's what the podcast do. And your podcast, again? Well, the, the, the middle unplugged, we talk about the issues behind Social Security and the big fight that's going on over that. And uh, that's that drops every Wednesday, the middle of the week. Get it? The middle unplugged. And uh, the one that I'm constantly stealing from, and purloining key, information and key, from. Keys to the City, which is basically your policy book for your uh, next campaign for mayor. Yeah, but then again, had you been mayor, and you would have been ten times better than Bill de Blasio. Later on in the hour, you got to critique the visit that the mayor had in Albany and how that got overshadowed. By Kathy uh, Hochul crashing and burning with her uh, judicial choice. But it's bad news we bring to you today. Another iconic fixture of life that Anthony Weiner knew growing up. And I knew that our own Sid Rosenberg knew. That Cousin Brucey knew. I mean, he's a fixture of the era. You would hang out and go get a slice of Lenny's Pizzeria on 86 underneath the L. And if you wanted to be just like Tony Monero from Saturday Night Fever... John Travolta, you stacked it, two slices together, you woofed it down, and then you bebopped down the street. Boy, that era is gone. Hopefully some of them will remain behind. Improve, don't move, but have a feeling you ain't listening to me. They're on their way to Florida. New immigrant group, new retail establishments, new culinary delights. I got to bring up one thing real quick. Uh, Sid was talking about having pineapple in Chinese restaurants. I told him, "Why don't you go get a pineapple bun at a Chinese bakery, of which there are many now in Brooklyn?" Yeah. And notice, Sid, there's no pineapple in it. Why don't you get into an argument with them in Cantonese or Mandarin and say, "How come you call it a pineapple bun if there's no pineapple in it?" Anyway, as we continue on here, left versus right, Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, very nostalgic today. The loss. Of Lenny's Pizzeria. If you can make it over there before 10 o'clock Sunday night, do so. I'm going to try to make it over there tomorrow for one last goodbye slice. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight Slugfest. 77 WABC. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Week, right? Pataki pimped off this. Then the Cuomo's tried to pimp off a bit. Although much better than New Jersey had. Remember Tom Kane singing, New Jersey and you. He would never move oh, his New top yeah, lip yeah. with Brooke Shields. 
New Jersey and really. Nobody talks like that in New Jersey. Maybe Connecticut. But anyway, ours was better than New Jersey. But I will tell you this. Uh, being nostalgic, something that uh, we'll talk about later on, right towards the end, Anthony, is the opening and spring training pitchers and catchers for you, Port St. Lucie, for me, Tampa, and what the prospects are, because already all the sports pages are filled with prognostications. Did you see DeGrom didn't show up for his first day with Texas? Yeah, I saw that. You were correct on that. He's already having uh, problems with his shoulder. So I'm wrong. You're right so far. How many millions? How many millions did the Rangers? Something like yeah. If if he if he only pitches 19 games in three years, like he did for us, he'd make like a million dollars a game. Already having a problem. But here it is. Our president is going to be in Poland at the time of the anniversary. The Russians are firing all kinds of cruise missiles uh, again into uh, the electrical grid, the power sources, the water sources, everything that people need to live a normal life. It's winter there, and it's brutal winter in some of those places. So now, after a full year, I look at Zelensky and I say, wow, never expected this from the guy. I thought he was going to take that plane uh, out when Biden and Harris offered him safe sanctuary. Remember, they offered him a plane out of Kiev. I said, I'm not leaving. And, boy, he has really turned out to be one tough leader. Nothing that Putin or anybody else could ever have anticipated. Because, remember, before that, he was the king of all comedy. He was a comedian. He was not a politician. But, boy, he has dug in. The question I ask you, though, Anthony, is the bill keeps growing as we've dug in with him. The European uh, uh, NATO has dug in with him. He wants to be in the European Union. He wants to be in NATO. And, boy, that, w- that would really set it off. So if you were giving guidance to the president of the United States, who clearly has not uh, blinked on this, what would you tell him? Well, first, let's start out with, you know, you and I sat here almost exactly a year ago. No one could have anticipated how how vigorous the re- the the reaction of the Ukrainian people has been. I mean, this we, we now listen, we don't know anything about these things. We listen to these suits your your you point this out every other week. These generals who come on our TV screens who tell us what's going to happen are almost always wrong. They these retired generals who say, "I'm an expert, here's what's going to happen" because they all said this was going to be over quick and the only question was going to have to be, "What do we do with Putin going forward because he's going to roll through Ukraine?" So, I give Biden a lot of credit. The international coalition has hung together. We haven't had to put boots on the ground. Sure, we're arming these guys, but so far, I think it seems like, you know, they're operating effect- as essentially as an agent army for us because these the, the Russians have at very least been chastened by all of this. What winds up happening going forward, I don't know. I've, I've heard a lot of the interviews with military leaders in the government now who have said things like they don't think we're going to be here in a year from now meaning they think this is going to start to wrap up. My concern is the American people, we're not, we don't have long attention spans for these things. We don't have long tolerance for these. And there is this element of the right who is increasingly agitating. And I, I think the next big question is going to be whether we send them planes. That's the next thing. Like, do we say that this has become such a humanitarian problem because the, the, the airspace over Ukraine is being used to knock out basically, like you said, the electric grid, water sources and the like, and that'll be an interesting question because then it becomes pretty darn close to us being in the war. 
Uh, not that I'm against the idea that we should send them planes, but that, that is, does seem to be the next big question that has to get answered. I'm certainly not opposed to it because they've earned the support. I mean, you are, and as you mentioned, everyone else did not think they could stand up to the old Soviet Russian menace of Tsar Putin. I mean, remember, we saw the tanks in a line as far as the eye can see. We said, man, they're going to they're gonna turn the Ukrainians into speed bumps. And they came in shooting, man, boom, boom, boom. And they were like rolling towards Kiev. And then all of a sudden, they hit roadblock after roadblock to Ukrainians' resistance. Average citizens were given just Kalashnikovs. They were out there along with the military. And then they've just started buffing themselves. And you could see in the looks of the faces of the Ukrainian uh, soldiers, it's like this is their motherland. Right. This is their country. And you can see with the Russians that they are mercenaries. They realize, what the hell right. are we doing here? We're going back in body bags. And they're sending human wave after human wave. It's like World War One, And the Russians got to be saying to themselves, we're just like cannon fodder. Yeah, we gain a few inches. But we're sending back hundreds well, what of body is the, bags. What is the through line we learned throughout history? It's people that are motivated in their own country to defend from the outsiders always, always outkick their coverage. Happens in Vietnam. It happens here. It happens in, in, in Afghanistan with whoever comes in. It, you know, that kind of motivation, we, we, I guess we underestimate it. We think you can overcome it with people. And also another thing we learned, we are constantly pumping up these enemies of the United States, in this case, Russia, oh, yeah. to say, if we don't do something, if we don't buy this weapon system, if we don't arm this army, maybe they're not that good. Maybe these militaries are just not that good at the end of the day. And, it, and maybe maybe the fear of, of Putin was overblown. But it doesn't change the fact that the, we have to continue supporting the Ukrainians because if we don't support them and Ukraine falls – it's going to be there will be an, 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 another battle line that will have to be involved. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, the coalition is held strong. We thought for, for in fact, the cracks would be with the Germans, who always seem to be intimidated by Putin and Russia. You know, he turned off the natural gas. They're in their winter now. Now, the winter isn't the, the worst it's ever been, but it's right. still cold. Right. And they say, go ahead, turn off the gas. We're in it to win it. Yeah. It feels good. Because their leader, Zelensky, is somebody who looks like a dynamic leader. As to whether he's corrupt or not, we'll eventually find out. But, boy, he makes an international presence, and you compare that to Putin, who looks in many instances like Biden, a little feeble, shaking, not as strong as he used to be. And you begin to say, well, you know, we were told for many years, remember every year in Red Square, they would uh, run their missiles through yeah, yeah. under Nikita Khrushchev and the Politburo, and it turned out that a lot of those missiles were placebos. They were cardboard. Yeah. They were made out of cardboard. Because our generals, as you mentioned, they have a side hustle, and they are shilling for the military-industrial complex. You look at who these guys are, and you say, Oh, I see you're a lobbyist for all these Fortune 500 companies that are involved in surveillance uh, technology, that are involved in military hardware. How much of your cut do you get it if you keep promoting war, right. and war, also, war? And also remember, military guys, they work with defense contractors, and they're in the business. In order to sell their product, we need threat. There's never any interest in military guys to saying we don't have a threat here or the threat is minimal or the threat, don't worry about it, we've got the threat. Their entire rationale for their existence is all these big medals I'm wearing are because I deal with threats. And we, we saw it with the China well, balloon thing. We've learned to vet 
our officials now with George Santos. Hopefully we will. We got another guy, another Republican, I think, in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. He's made up his whole resume. If that would be two Republicans in the House if they go down, that would leave only one more for yeah. majority. And there's this woman in Washington State or whenever she claimed that she was in Washington, whatever it is. We got, we've got a couple of you. Listen, the, if, if we're going to go through this process going line by line of every member of Congress resume, I think we're going to have enough to Let's many left. do the generals because these TV generals. Yep. Remember Trump said, oh, my lovely TV generals. And he almost sacked every which one of them. <laughs> Who are they? What kind of generals were they? And by the way, are they presently a lobbyist for any of those in the military-industrial complex? General Eisenhower slash President Eisenhower on his way out of office when turning over the power to JFK won the closest, one of the closest elections ever against Vice President Nixon said, beware of the military-industrial complex. Who would know better than a guy, everybody like yeah. Ike, right? General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower. They are warmongers, just like weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. We're still looking for them. Has anybody seen them? Hey, Cheney, uh, where are they? Huh? While well, these waterboarding guys over in Gitmo. Anyway, up next, we got to talk about the visit to Albany, Hochul, and then Eric Adams, and your observations of what they came away with or didn't come away with as the legislature was flexing. Right here on Left versus Right, Anthony Weiner. He knows where all the political bones are buried. Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. Who knows where everybody else's bones are buried exclusively here at WABC. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Political wars going on at the national level, regional, statewide level, and local level. And nobody knows it better than Anthony Weiner because not too long ago, Anthony, when you were in Congress, you were considered the leader of the Democrat liberal progressive wing in the House. Now, they wouldn't even have a conversation with you. They would say, you... You might as well be a Republican in many instances. You would be labeled a moderate Democrat. Did you see the Progressive Caucus kicked a whole bunch of me- of the city council yes. kicked a whole bunch of members out who didn't want to sign on to some pledge to defund to you know defund is so overused, but they basically if you if you didn't if you didn't believe we should reduce the funding for the police department, 
they kicked a whole bunch of the progressive caucus out. Yeah, it's really has changed a lot. They are flexing. So you have at three levels. You have AOC, the leader of the Democratic Socialists, a guy who came on board in the state Senate, and boy, is he flexing, and he's winning battle after battle now. Generis, who used to be the protege of Peter Valone Sr., moderate Democrat. Right. But give him credit. He saw this coming. He swung to the left because he's right in the middle of AOC's district. Yeah, and he would have been gone. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, Kaban, who is the city councilwoman in uh, Astoria, and she leads the charge for the DSA. And she was within a hair's breadth of defeating Melinda Katz. I mean, on, on election day, she was ahead of Melinda for district attorney. Imagine her as a district attorney. Yeah, she had won on the machines, the scanners, but lost on the paper. Right. Just barely, as you Just mentioned. Just barely. So they're flexing. So Eric Adams goes up there. They call it Tin Cup Day. And he, along with other municipal leaders, were up there trying to get some money out of the budget uh, that Kathy uh, Hochul had put together. It's a big budget. And Eric Adams started with his list uh, But he never mentioned bail reform this time at all in his public statements. He threw a real monkey wrench into the life of my husband-in-law, former Governor David Patterson, who appears uh, regularly here on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion that you've been with with uh, John many times. And as one of his premier guests on Sunday mornings, 8 to 10, and he's always a newsmaker. Right. But all of a sudden, there was a state senator from Nassau County who's asking our mayor, we understand that you want to move some of the migrants into the Nassau County Coliseum. I hadn't heard that at all. But apparently they've approached the lessee, and that's the project that Governor David Patterson is representing Sands from Las Vegas right, right. to try to get the casino license there. That would be the end of that attempt at a casino. I even said to Governor Patterson the other day, were you aware of this? He goes, you know, we had heard a rumor about this. We thought, nah, that's not going to happen. Even Bruce Blakeman, the county executive, was caught totally, like, out of the sink. Had no idea this was going on. And Wait, may- is there any truth to that? Did yes. someone actually promote it? Promote yeah, the idea? state senator there asked Eric Adams in the public session about it. Eric did not deny it. And, in fact, she welcomed the idea. She actually said, yeah, uh, ship some of your migrants from New York City there. So a lot of stuff going on, but the things that we thought the mayor would go in there and battle for. Uh, No cash bail, you know, to uh, end that. He didn't even mention it. And then when he was asked about the charter schools, of which Kathy Hochul said, hey, I want to increase them by about 68, 69. Right now there's a cap on the number that can be in the city. They want that cap to be lifted, so just whatever the market will bear. Right, and Eric Adams, when he campaigned for the Democratic nomination and when he campaigned against me, had the big support of the charter pack. I think they gave him more than a million dollars. And he was really pro-charter. I mean, truly pro-charter. What the hell happened? He said, oh, we can't afford it, a billion dollars. And here are all these charter school parents, grandparents, many of them black and Hispanic, who are hoping that with all this new empty space in some of the public schools, and I know your mother, a proud member of the UFT, proud uh, teacher in the public school system, where do you stand on all of this? Because those charter school parents are like, how can this be? We've been waiting for years to get that, that, that charter school and to get our place for our child or our grandchild. Well, a couple of things. You know, one, they call it the Tin Cup Day because the mayor the, the mayor goes up, sits in these hearings, and asks for money. That's always the way it goes. And this year, he had a little bit more to do than he normally would because in Kathy Hochul's budget, 
is this thing. We're going to give you some money for the MTA, but we're also going to ask you to give back us some money, which actually would be a net loss for the city. So his number one priority was dollars and cents. I think there has been a lot of criticism of him for for the stuff that he didn't say. You mentioned two things that are the biggest. One, he has said repeatedly he wants changes in the, in the, the, the no-cash bail law, and he didn't even bring it up. Even if he's talking about the MTA, I would have thrown in a line or two. And the same is true for the for the charter school thing that, you know, that lifting the cap of charter schools is a big deal. And uh, he hasn't done either of those things. All those things being said, who cares about the atmospheres? No real New Yorker gets up in the morning, and says, oh, it's tin cup day. It's it's a lot of performance stuff. I think the way to judge this is when the city has to pass its budget. Let's see if Kathy Hochul and the state legislatures come through. One thing I will say they had that vote on the judge right in the middle of his day up there. I don't know if someone was intending or it's just sometimes it's just a coincidence, but it did seem like it was it was a successful attempt by someone to show that they have the power of the, the legislature up there because they had this highly controversial vote right in the middle of his visit, and it basically swallowed up whatever attention he was getting. Well, that and also the state senators were leaving uh, for that vote, which meant that his pitch to his own Democrats was falling on deaf ears. We have some uh, uh, impending bad news here. We hope for the best, but uh, President Jimmy Carter apparently had uh, another fall as a result of old age. He's had a series of falls of late, uh, but he had to have a medical procedure to relieve the pressure on his brain due to the bleeding from the many recent falls. Uh, He appears like uh, he will be in hospice care, uh, whether it's in Plains, Georgia, or somewhere else. Uh, But that's certainly not not good news, although, boy, he has lived an incredible life. He sure has. And, and the way I'm reading this is they say he's going to spend his remaining time at home receiving hospice care, and they're not going to have any more medical interventions, which obviously means no more operations. Yeah, it, he has had a remark. I, you know, I've always been critical of Jimmy Carter because of his his views and policies relates to Israel. He's probably, you know, one of the worser presidents as it relates to the, the U.S. relationship with Israel. But in terms of like the way he has spent his post presidency, no cashing in, no going on boards, no flying around, just staying there in Georgia, being a spokesman for humanitarian causes around the world. I um, uh, hope God blesses him with with uh, with some, some peaceful weeks here. And then thinking, because we're going to be talking about the return of pitches and catches, spring training, lifelong Atlanta Braves fan. He and his wife, Chop Chop, they do the Chop Chop to this day. Even though Ted Turner no longer owns it, he's out in Montana. He divorced from Jane Fonda. I'll never forget them sitting there in Atlantic, Fulton County Stadium, when uh, the Yankees were two games down. They lost in Yankee Stadium, and they went there. And there's Jimmy Carter, his wife, Chop Chop, and next to them at the time, owner of the Atlanta Braves, uh, Ted Turner Turner, of CNN, when it was a hell of a lot better run then. Man, it was a powerhouse. Now it just seems to be falling apart. And Jane Fonda, who was his wife at the time, and they were doing the politically incorrect. Very incorrect. Chop Chop, which, as you saw, the Kansas Chief fans were doing last week at the Super Bowl, Chop Chop, and the Atlanta Braves fans still do. But he is a tried and true Atlanta Braves fan. I will tell you, probably one of the smartest men we've ever had as president. I mean, he was quick. Yep. yep. Very intelligent. Uh, Captain of a nuclear submarine during the Cold War. 
out of the Naval Academy. And remember, he came up as the reformer because after the whole craziness of Watergate and Nixon and then Gerald Ford, this guy came out of Georgia. Well, here's the other thing. He was the first of what we probably won't see any more with the changes that are coming in the Democratic primary system. You know, up until 1976 when he ran, there was no Iowa caucus. There wasn't direct primaries in many places. There were some, but not many. And he was the one that figured out, I can go to Iowa and come out of nowhere, and he really did. I mean, 1976, no one had done that before. Remember, it was 72 when George McGovern was the Democratic nominee. We got swamped, only won one state. And the Democrats got together and said, we have to figure out a better way of doing this. And that's when the Iowa caucus was born. And now, in 2024, there won't be an Iowa caucus anymore or any other caucus. Um, But Jimmy Carter is the walking embodiment of how you do that strategy, probably the one that Nikki Haley or someone is thinking of how you come out of nowhere being relatively unknown. He was completely unknown, but he spent day and night in Iowa, moved in there, bought a, you know, rented an apartment there and just stayed there the whole time. And because of that, became the president of the and United before States. Before Jerry Falwell uh, and Liberty Baptist College in Virginia and that whole movement of the evangelicals towards the Republicans, Jimmy Carter was the first evangelical president. Yep. Even though he turned out to be very liberal and progressive on a lot of issues, he truly was an evangelical. Remember that famous interview he gave with Playboy magazine and he was asked, well, if you think of having sex outside of marriage, he goes, oh, that's a sin. Yeah, no, he says he, he, he coined the phrase lust in your heart, yes. right, as being a sin, yeah. No, no, yeah. I mean, this, this guy was a true believer as an evangelical even to his last days, teaching Bible school in Plains, Georgia on Sunday. And we talk about Hunter uh, Biden now. He had Billy Carter. Yeah. Billy Carter with the beer. Uh, he was negotiating with Gaddafi, our enemy at that time. He was getting money for the brewery. He was visiting Gaddafi. It's almost like uh, with um, uh, Bill Clinton's brother. Remember, his half-brother, Roger. But... No mess more than Hunter Biden, that's for sure. Well, he listen, set new he, levels. Yeah, but he and he was someone in his post presidency was like no other. I mean, he was, you know, Habitat for Humanity, going to Bible study every Sunday. He was he was the real deal. He was a he was he's he is a decent now, and pious man. Why do we feel he was so pro PLO Palestinian and so anti Israel? Bush forty one and Baker were that way. They did not like Israel, but They had to swallow their hate uh, and fund Israel. Jimmy Carter, you always got the impression, even though he's evangelical, and evangelicals think of Israel, right? That's that's the promised land. That's, you know, where the the end of all time will take place. Why do you think he was so opposed to the Israeli leadership? So it comes down, I believe, to the to kind of like the inverse of the experience with Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan is one of the most pro-Israel presidents because he came up as a union leader in California, going to bond breakfast, being steeped in the Jewish community and understanding it from his very earliest days in politics. Jimmy Carter was the opposite, had no experience with the community, had no kind of foundation. And if you at, with the Middle East, if, if you just look at the, the, what you see on TV and you see, a bunch of Palestinian guys with rocks in their hands and bandana on their face say, oh, that's the underdog in this fight. If you have no historical reference, that's the way you view it. And Jimmy Carter, frankly, that's the way he came to understand the region. And he was an underdog guy and whatever it is. And and it shows 
why, frankly, where you come up and how you come up. And this is why whenever we would have a new group of members of Congress coming to Washington, we who are big supporters of Israel would fan out and just sit with them and say, listen, here's the here's what the history is. Here's how far back it goes. You can't just start at one particular frame and say you understand it. You've got to understand the historical context. He never did. And as a result was was someone who, despite Camp David, you know, was someone who was um, first of all, was, you know, that was amazing. I mean, you're looking at Menachem Begin, right? I mean, Menachem Begin went to war against his own people. I mean, in the initial days of Israel, it was like the Stern Gang, right? He was the far, 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 far right. He even had the black glasses. He looked like the head of an organized crime family. He was a scary guy. And then you have Enwar Sadat. They're never going to make peace. Yeah. Jimmy Carter somehow pulled it all off. Unfortunately for um, Enwar Sadat, he got killed by the Muslim Brotherhood. Their spiritual advisor, Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman, you remember the Santa Claus hat-wearing uh, imam of uh, hate, who was the spiritual advisor for the first attack of the World Trade Center. And then Menachem Begum just ended up dying. By the way, on, on the Camp David Accord, and a lot of our listeners might not realize this, we give dollar-for-dollar do- dollar money to Egypt that we give to Israel each year yeah. in the budget. And every so often, a newer member of Congress says, why are we doing this? We don't like something Egypt has done. That's the deal. I mean, we we ha- we are showing because of Jimmy Carter that if you make peace with Israel, we're going to support you. And notice who's the dictator now in Egypt, Zazi. When he first came in, you know, made his first uh, presentation when he took over the country from Mubarak, he had one medal on as a general. He now has like 52 medals. <laughs> but the other thing is the one tactical error that Jimmy Carter made as president, one of the initial debates, Ronald Reagan Anderson, Congressman Anderson, who was running as an independent, he was a Republican from Illinois, and it was at the Harbor Avenue uh, area in Baltimore. That was just like the first debate. Everybody was afraid of Ronald Reagan because they thought he had the if he had the nuclear football, forget it, he would incinerate the world. Carter would not debate them. Mistake. And then all of a sudden, Reagan had more talk time because Anderson was the only one on stage. Yeah, they differed, but they had a respect for one another because, let's face it, they were both Republicans from Illinois. And everybody thought, wait, this guy ain't that bad. That sort of gave him a leg up. I think if President Jimmy Carter had been at that first debate, Ronald Reagan would never have had all that talk time. And you know that anger would have welled up. I know, but remember, you had inflation. You think inflation is an issue now. It was twice as much as um, then. You had the at the end of his the last year of his administration, maybe even more. You had the hostages, and it was you know the, just the the ultimate zots that the the Iranians released the hostages to give the Ronald Reagan the credit for it. I, yeah, you that's know. because he illegally negotiated that yeah. with Iran Contra, uh, and then all of a sudden had uh, dementia and amnesia. I didn't know, I didn't know, you know. Meantime, he knew what the hell he was doing, and who took the hit? Admiral Poindexter, it was me, not at, not North, not Bush, who used to be the CIA director, was vice yeah. president, not Reagan. He took the, he fell on the sword. Admiral Poindexter, really, was the shot caller for all that? I'll never believe that till the day I die. Wow. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 
77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Well, you actually shouldn't have played the uh, Yankee anthem, even though I'm a tried and true Yankee fan, vacillating as I have ever since they got rid of Kate Smith singing in the seventh inning stretch, God Bless America. But should be playing the Met theme because Steve Cohen has spent a fortune. Uh, you know, as I've always said, Anthony Weiner, he should be in jail for insider trading information, but he's not. He may end up getting a casino right here next to City Field. He's lobbying hard, but he has spent a ton of money this offseason. He had a few uh, ruffles, uh, a few flubs along the way, but as uh, pitchers and catchers reported to Port St. Lucie, Give me your evaluation of the well, match. There is no free agent that's safe. You, you saw there was Manny Machado said that he's not going to re-sign his extension because every every free agent now sees sees Cohen's checkbook out there. Look, there there is. I, I am really conflicted about this because I don't. I'm not crazy about the guy either. But I have to tell you, doesn't everyone want an owner like this? That there's not a free agent that goes on that they're not in on, and they're not doing anything dumb. I think they were probably right to pass on DeGrom. You know, they, they, I, I, I think, now, unlike the, unlike the Yankees, the Mets are in a pretty tough division. I mean, in the National League East, there's, I mean, with the, with the exception of the Nationals, there's no one who's, who's a, a pushover there, but I still think they, they get 100 well, wins that's, in Well, that's why it makes for exciting baseball. You got the uh, Phillies coming back. You got Atlanta's always a great team. You got the Mets. Highly competitive, uh, great pitching, great defense, uh, great offense. It's like compelling baseball. It would yeah. make you pay these outrageous uh, ticket prices Plus to go to you the have ballpark. Bigger bases. Yes, you have no shift. You have the, the, this is the one I'm interested in. You have the shot clock for the pitchers. The pitchers are going to have to pitch. How many pitchers are out there that we know? have dined out on just taking these long 30-second breaks between pitches to wear everyone out to just make the batters just swing at yeah, anything. Yeah, but also the batters, you know, they come up, they got a theme song play, they got to pull their jock strap, they got to unfasten their gloves, refasten their gloves. Get in there and hit. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, and, I'm, and you have the designated hitter now. I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind the, 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 the pitch clock for the pitchers. We'll see. Every, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. I'm I, optimistic I will tell you this, uh, just looking at both preliminary lineups and obviously a lot can go haywire with injuries and things that you had hoped for that don't, uh, deliver. You look a hell of a lot better to me than the Yankee lineup. I don't really see. As to how we've gone beyond home run happy Yankees as we were last year. Because the big impediment is Houston. Houston, Houston, Houston. Houston has become what the Yankees used to be many, many years ago. Yeah. You could develop, you could be the Cleveland Indians, you could be the Chicago White Sox, Detroit Tigers, you could challenge the Yankees. But time and time again, they would supersede you. And that is the reputation that Houston now has, whether they cheat or they don't cheat. They are just superior to the Yankees, and they're in the heads of the Yankees. Also, we say this is the age of the of the big bomb. Teams that win are teams that manufacture runs. 
the teams that do station-to-station baseball like in the old days, they're the ones that win in these clutch playoff games. That's where that's where the Yankees fail. It was it was always feast or famine, and I don't. they're still fundamentally constructed as that exact same team. The Mets are a little less so. I think the Mets are going to be an exciting team. I think they're going to run a lot. And but and the other thing is, if the Mets run into an injury in their pitching staff, as we always seem to do, we got Cohen. He'll just go out and buy another pitcher. Now, even though you're excited about the start of spring training, I am. Our uh, sons are not. Your son is not interested in baseball. I have three sons, none of whom are interested in baseball. Anthony, I actually brought him to a coach because early on he liked baseball. He was in the batting cage. I thought this is something he would acclimate himself to. Dropped it after like a year. Uh, Carter, my middle son, never never was interested in uh, baseball. Hunter was. Hunter was pretty damn good. He was in the Pee Wee League out in Forest Hills. And then all of a sudden he gave that up for soccer. Everything is soccer, soccer. The problem that baseball has, if you're not from Venezuela or Cuba or other countries that really love baseball like the Dominican Republic, it's dying here in America. It is. It is. And, and you know, here's the example of – here's Jordan's example – Soccer, he can go out and kind of go out to soccer ball almost anywhere with his buddies. He's into flag football now. That you get together, which is about any park and go out and do baseball. So be a lot more organized. You got to bring a glove and everything else. But the bigger problem is to watch it on TV is just the house of pain now. So maybe these changes will, will help attract some of it. The, and then you've got these these traditionalists who say don't make any of these changes. Everything is fine. Hey, I like sitting for three hours watching a ball game as much as the next guy, but it's really hard to get it when these guy when these kids are raised on video games and everything else. Look, I'm a little older than you, Anthony, but when I was growing up in Brooklyn, I go to Seaview Field. It'd be a hell of a hard time to find an empty field to play baseball. Likewise, we go to Marine Park, same thing. We go to the parade grounds up there in Prospect Park, same thing. You had to sign up. I mean, they would uh, sort of basically lease those fields like weeks right, in advance, right. months. Now you go there, and they've turned them into either soccer pitches or volleyball fields. You get these migrants coming in. They want to play volleyball. No, it, and you say, doesn't anybody want to play baseball here other than the Dominicans? Yeah. The, the other thing you used to have, and you used to take your glove, and even if you were just one guy, you were just alone, you'd go up and you'd find a bunch of other guys with gloves, and the game would start. Now it's not so much that way. And and I, I don't know what, what the solution is, but I don't think we're a better country. You know, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie. And the Mets. Now it's vegan, dirty water hot dogs, right? (laughs) Faith always continues within the New York Mets. We Yankees, we just assume we're going to win, but it's been a month of Sundays since we were in the World Series. So let's see what happens up next. Rob Astorino, he's warming up in the bullpen. And then I'll be back midnight to 6 in my tribute to Lenny's Pizza, the iconic pizzeria featured in Saturday Night Fever, which... We'll be closing as of Sunday night, 10 o'clock, and I'm going to try to get two slices there before they close. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of-